When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of Dom, you know, what was it like being his goalie partner for those years you were in Buffalo? I mean, we all considered him the GOAT. You know, obviously you see in the background here, you know, you know, he's uh, I was a big fan of his and yours. Um, but, you know, what was it like playing playing alongside him? Because I know a lot of goalies, goalie partners like to try and give each other advice of what they're seeing out there on the ice. But Dom was very unorthodox, man. He didn't really have a very uh, – a very yeah. – a style – uh, that many goalies played. Uh, the one thing I always told my goalies when I was coaching was, if there's anything you take from Dominic Kashuk, it's never give up on a single play because he never did. Um, right. But as, everything else, though, it was just like, how do you teach that? You don't teach that. You really don't. Like, you don't. Um, you know, and you you don't teach that. And the thing, I mean, so much of my career, I owe to Dom in terms of, I thought I was a hard worker. Like, and I, I thought I approached practice the right way. And then I got out on the ice with Dom and no, and not a lot of people believe this when I say it, but I've seen Dominic Hoshik go through practice and two goals went in. Like, that's the first time I've heard this. Where, and I've, I've had a couple situations where I've watched Dom and I'm like, there's no doubt in my mind nobody would ever be able to convince me that he's not the greatest puck stopper ever. Because when I look at his save percentage back then compared to everybody else, it was ridiculous. It would be like, to me, I think the equivalent might be of a goalie having a nine sixty five save percentage at this point where everybody else is at nine 30. I mean, our Mendoza line, you know, let's just say was 90. Like if you saved 90% of the shots, that was an NHL quality goalie. And Dom was yeah. at 930, you know, 93. And uh, I, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I say this all the time when people try and have the debate about who is the greatest of all time is, uh, you know, again, also mind you, he didn't come into the NHL until he was like 26 years old. Whereas guys like Waugh and Marty Brodeur, they had years and years, like a head start again. And you, and you match up the numbers. They, even they, you know, didn't have the, the types of seasons that Dom had. And they played with Hall of Fame hockey players, whereas no offense against the rosters that Dom had in front of them. I mean, he played, you know, to, to the standard of the NHL, average at best. You know, he, I mean, he, sure, he had LaFontaine for a cup of coffee and maybe Mogilny, but after that, man, it, I mean, Miro Shatan was probably your marquee goal scorer. And, you know, he didn't have guys, he didn't have guys like Joe Sackick, you know, uh, wow. Peter Forsberg, you know, these elite hockey players back in, you know, pre salary cap era where you could really just put together any kind of type of team you want. Um, yeah. You know, he didn't Absolutely have that. Right. We were a small market team. Well, and we, and, and that's the thing with Dom is that there's like, very few. I've never seen a goalie uh, be able to change the identity of their team. Like we were, you know, remember we had Matt Barnaby, Rob Ray, 
Brad May, uh, Bob Bugner, the Boogeyman, Daryl Shannon. Like we played hard and were like a scrappy, scrappy team. Hardest working team in hockey. Hardest working team. And then we had the the man. I mean, so many times there's so many different examples that I've had where I've watched Dom make saves and I, I just like sitting there going, oh my God, like what if I have to go in? Um, I mean, I can't do any of this. I mean, he's the best goalie I've ever seen by far. And he just had this, he's got this ability to track the puck, which was better than anybody I've ever seen. Um, you know, I think Wayne Primo might would appreciate this. One of the, an example of this was we were out on the West Coast one time and uh, we got beat in LA. Dom wasn't very good. And I was supposed to play the next night in Phoenix. Um, well, I wake up in the morning, I go down to the rink. I'm not playing, you know, Dom's play. And, uh, he goes out for a pregame optional skate. And the guys never do that on back to backs. They don't, they, you know, stay at the hotel. Well, Dom goes out and the only thing he does, he goes down to the other end and he grabs Wayne Primo and he has Wayne Primo start at the hash marks and do mini breakaways. Okay. Dom stopped 35 straight mini breakaways on Wayne Primo. Like, <laughs> and Wayne Primo's confidence was over after 10. And then I'll never forget shagging the pucks. And Prem just kept going and going. And Dom is the kind of goalie that just picks pucks clean out of the air. And he went and went and went. And all of a sudden, up to like that number. Pats Wayne on the butt, skates off the ice, and I believe he pitched a shutout that night. Like, and Wayne Primo, I'll never forget us just sitting at center ice stretching, just laughing. Like, you know, and I can't believe what I'm seeing. I just can't believe that somebody was that good. And, you know, and that's just what he was. <laughs> when we were really, when we won, and I was with Dom, he won the MVP of the league two years. In a row, yeah. And I was his backup for both those seasons, you know, and do I feel like I'm responsible partially? Yeah, I do. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like it would be hard for him to do it. If somebody else is back, I think I was a really good backup. I thought that I was value added, but the thing that really bothered, there was one thing that bothered me was that there was a point in the season where Don Lever, who coached the power play would kick Dom off the ice at the end of practice. And the power play wouldn't practice until Dom left the ice. And then he would, <laughs> then I would have to go in and play goal for PP because he would just decide that he wasn't going to let them score. And the, the coaches really believed that he sucked the confidence out of those guys in practice because they never got I got Like I, I'm not so laughing at you, Steve. It's just, it's crazy. It's unbelievable. Like That's crazy. It was great. It was so great. Like, I just – that's one thing, like, that's one thing that I don't think a lot of young guys, and I didn't understand then, the value you get from working with a guy. And it's relatable now to, you know, the last dance is on. I'm mean, sure we're all watching. We've all watched the last dance with, yep. with MJ. It is true. Like, those guys make such a big difference for other players on their team. Like, to, for me to sit and watch a guy work like that, 
I, I could work as hard as I wanted for the rest of my life. I wouldn't know what it meant. Like I would never really know what the yard stick was, you know, because I, I had to get like, if I could get through practice and only give up 20, I was on top of the world. Like, yeah. And that's how I became a better goalie. And that's, that's, you know, for me, the key and what a lot of guys, if everybody could feel that and see that, I think everybody could reach another level in, in their performance. Yeah. I, uh, I used to hear a lot of good, actually Dom stories, not to make it as all about him, but like, I used to hear a lot of good funny stories about him during practice too, outside of what you just told us. We're throwing his stick into the stands. It's like, cause you're oh. not going to find a better competitor in practice than, than him. I guess and just him just losing his mind. Um, I remember Andrew Peters told a story while they were both rehabbing an injury that they did like a drill in front of the net where the pucks are wrapped around the front of the net and PD would pretty much just do rapid fire. And he did, he shot like the first three or four pucks and he wasn't looking at that. He was just shooting real quick. And then he picked his head up and Dom was taking, it wasn't even finishing the drill. He was taking the puck out of the net because he refused to get scored on in this drill. So he, he did. Said, I'm going to take this I'm going to take this puck out of that and we're starting over because I'm not going to let you score on me. That's absolutely true. Like that's wild. He he was that guy and he would like he would fight back. You know, Pavel Burry, they used to say that he would just sit on the side of the net all practice and just bang home pucks like no matter what, he just needed to score. Well, Dom was the same way as a goalie where he just did not let people score on him, you know, to the point where I, I, he won. <laughs> I, I heard stories about players making bets during practice, like something about Brad May making a, a bet during practice about how many goals Dom was going to let in today, stuff like that. Like, it's just wild, I, man, because you don't hear stuff like that, man. You know, the guys who take practice that yeah. seriously. I mean, not to underplay, uh, un, you know, not to be all Allen Iverson practice, talk about practice, like, but Dom, like, he's just like, he compete, like he was the, the living embodiment of you play the way you practice. Well, and that's the thing, like how I likened it to this last dance is that like Dom doesn't have an off button, like, or he didn't, there was no dialing it back. You know, there was a, the other, the other thing I really noticed about Dom and he told me later, I mean, it was, I mean, he would use, if any time the practice slowed down to the point where if they just went out of one end, he, that was it. Like if he started to get cold over would be on the bench <laughs> or Shieldsy, you take that, you take that. As soon as practice slowed down to where he wasn't able to compete and win, he was done. If he was going to cool off at all, no. He'd either stay in and take them all, which he did, or he would be done. Like, I just, I think that he gets geared up and he just only had one gear and, and it was unbelievable. Like it was, it was amazing. It was really, I, I really, you know, to, for me, that's probably, you know, the closest I'll ever get to seeing somebody who's the best in the world at something. And it was unbelievable. Yeah, I uh, I can speak to that too. I always hated playing in games where the you know the action wasn't really down at my end because you do get cold and you do kind of tend to lose focus. Uh, I hated games like that, man. Um, I mean, Ty, do you have anything to add uh, to what Steve said? Um, yeah, just bringing that into how you look at you know coaching your goaltenders. You're going to have a young Sabres prospect there, and Eric Portillo coming to Ann Arbor. Yep. 
um, you know, how do you bring, you know, everything you've taken from your NHL experience, especially, you know, with Dominic and translate that into teaching, you know, young up and coming goalies at the NCAA level? Unbelievable question. Portillo, definitely yeah. a, a Sabres prospect. Uh, Steve, how do you, thing, how do you feel about him? Well, he's going to be a good goalie, you know, and he's a big kid. He's very raw. Um, you know, but he's got, he's got skill and, you know, he competes and we have another goalie here as well. Who's going to be a junior, uh, Strauss man, who was just v- voted the best goalie in the big 10. So a lot of, a lot of quality goaltending here and a guy that's going to be really good for Eric to learn from, uh, a yeah. guy who's, you know, a 4.0 student, uh, and works every day. And that's, to me, the thing that I learned, you know, that I try to pass on for guys is, you know, yes, they have to figure it out on their own. And, you know, there's a ton of information. But if, you know, but for the most part, if you can get guys feeling good about themselves and understanding what hard work is and how to deal with, you know, what happens if you don't work hard, the majority of the time I found that guys really respond and get a lot better. And, and I think Eric will be the same where, you know, the hardest part right now is convincing a young player that there's this much more to learn. Uh, and that, you know, what you do now is not the way that it needs to be. And that, you know, uh, you know, I'm not a guy that would tell anybody. I never tell anybody what to do. I typically just annoy guys to the point where mm-hmm. I ask enough questions that they eventually tell me what then I can just say, okay, now that you said that, I'll just remind you every time you don't do that. And, you know, for me, I found that, you know, I'm much, I'm a much easier guy to be around when, when there's a, a deal between me and the goalie and, and any player on our team that, you know, this is what the head coach expects. This is what you say you want to do. We've agreed this will get you there if you execute that. And I basically want to hold up a mirror every day. And, you know, and that's how, you know, how it sank in with me was I saw great players and then I had to take that look in the mirror and decide, hey, what I'm doing is not good enough. And, you know, and nothing I was doing when I was younger was good enough, except I had some skill. And these guys are no different. And I just, I feel like there's a lot of players that can make it. Like there's, for as how hard it is, there's so many great players now that mm-hmm. there's not enough places in the NHL for everybody. Um, you know, more so now than ever. So anybody that can get an edge and that can really learn about themselves faster and recognize you know, how to change and how to be accountable to themselves are the guys that can really make it other than the guys that are, that are destined to be, you know, star players for the average Mm -hmm. guy, you know, for every guy in the NHL, there's probably 10 that could do it, but the guys that figure their shit out the best and that, you know, don't let themselves off the hook are the guys that end up making it. And you know, to me, my, all the, everything I do with the guys is about, you know, helping them get to that point where they can do it. Because otherwise, it's not going to happen for the most part. There's got to be some self-realization there that, 
you know, I can be great, you know, but the part about it, that's the tricky part is they do have to feel good about themselves. Yep. Can't mm-hmm. do it scared. You have to be energized and you have to feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel. And that's, you know what, Michigan, what we are trying to do with these young guys is make them feel that they can do anything. So if Portillo, Eric comes here, he's got competition. What's the best thing for Eric Portillo? It's competition to competition and to get better and to, to do great in school. So, you know, your future is whatever you want it to be. You can relax and give yourself time to be a great player. Um, and that's what it's that's and that's what Eric will do. He's a great kid, a lot of potential. Like, you know, Buffalo is in great shape if those are the types of kids that they're drafting. Now we just as Saber fans, we just have to show a little patience, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking of yeah, having some patience, uh, that would be patience for a, a certain general manager with some ties to Michigan as well, Jason Bottrell. Yeah. I think you guys would have would have lapsed for like a season there. Yeah, you mentioned oh, yeah, to me, Steve, Bots, that yeah. you and Jason. Yeah. Yeah, my, yeah so. his freshman year was my senior year. Um, you know, he was a general manager back then, too. Like, he's that type of guy. Now, I, mm-hmm. I, and I happen to believe that Bots is, like, when I talk to him, he's such an intelligent person, and he comes from an organization that has won. And you know, one consistently and, you know, and all their players get better. So I have, I have as much faith in Jason Botterill as I do anybody. Um, and I think that it's in this era, I don't think it's fair to expect change like this to happen overnight. Yeah. Would you like to see better results right now? Yeah. But to me, I look at their coaching staff and, you know, I really like the coach. Um, yep. You know, I don't know how, like, you know, I trace everything back to goaltending. I mean, great GMs and great coaches are born from great goalies, if you ask me. Uh, You know, if there's one thing I would pressure a guy to do as a GM, if I was an owner, is get your goaltending great. Because that makes Mm -hmm. everybody better. Yeah. And it's just the reality. Because if you don't have Sidney Crosby – you need that guy. Like, look at the staff and the players that played with Dom. They all had better careers because their goalie was better. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a thing that's really missing is that if you have that certainty that every two games, one less goal will go in or a goal that should be saved is stopped every five games, I, I think it just – the way things are parity-wise – your goalie makes everybody else better. And, you know, as long as that happens, I would see Buffalo. It looks, you know, because if you look at Buffalo, I'm not saying their goaltending's not good, but they have other pieces. Like they have skill. They have one of the top young defensemen. They can move the puck. They have a good coach. It's not the GM. The GM's getting the pieces. Like it's got to be something that, you know, that, that pushes them over the hump and maybe, you know, maybe it's our complex in Buffalo. Maybe we expect it to be bad. Like who knows? It's not, you know, there's something that happens, you know, but it's not, 
I don't, to me, I look at that team, I'm like, they're ready to be a real team and to, and to have success. And they've had success. You know, but in yeah, Buffalo, I, we've lost four Super Bowls. I mean, what, how do you expect us to be until yeah. we're winning? Yeah, especially it, after it, no goal and everything too. Yeah, it's tough. It's, and the goal? It, it, we, yeah, no goal. The phantom goal through the side of the nut, John LeClaire. Like, I'll, pretty much, I, I don't like to say it like this, but, you know, not, not to the fault of the, of the organization, but in Buffalo, losing has been kind of made almost like an art form. You know, we just don't lose. We find we find creative way to ways to lose. <laughs> and, um, you know, going back, like, I, I, I haven't lost faith in Jason Botterill. Like, I've gone back and forth with it. I think the one thing that will loom over his head until things that, you know, things are righted within the organization is obviously the Ryan O'Reilly deal. You know, everything that could have gone wrong with that deal went wrong, you know, um, you know, right. I think I, me personally, I think there could have been a better deal to been gotten. Cause I really don't think you had to trade Ryan O'Reilly, but you know, whether you did or you didn't, I think there could have been a better deal had Ryan not said what he said to the media because I think that took a lot of leverage out of Jason Botterill's hands as far as trading him went, yeah. um, you know, as far as the return goes. But, I mean, he's always been an advocate of building through the draft, build, developing, you know, and the proof is in the pudding in Pittsburgh, you know. And a lot of those younger players outside of the guys like Crosby and, and, and Malkin um, were guys that, you know, he helped along the way through the farm system. You have no choice now. Like, yeah. You, there is no choice. You have to do it through the draft. So if somebody, if a GM comes in, it's, there's no other way to do it. So when the fans get impatient after a couple of years, yeah, absolutely. Like, and I think this is the time, like, I would think that most GMs go through a period of where it is touch and go. Like, how is this going to turn out? I mean, not every deal is going to be a great deal, but you have pieces now, there might be one or two factors now moving forward that are either going to turn that team into a contender or they'll end up back at the drawing board, you know? This episode of Two Goalies on Mike is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Don't just play, play hockey better. The Better Biscuit pucks will simulate the feeling of on ice when practicing off ice. You have the option of two different pucks, the sniper and the passer. Guys, this is an unbelievable product, especially right now in quarantine. We don't have the ability to be on the ice, so you have to get your, uh, you know, practice your skills off the ice. You have the option of two different pucks. They also uh, have a relationship with Easy Goal, another great product of theirs. And right now, if you use the promo code CUST77, all in capital letters, you get 10% off your t- entire order. Um, they can be found at betterbiscuit.net. Or on social media, their Twitter handle is better underscore biscuit. Same thing for Instagram, better underscore biscuit. And just search better biscuit on Facebook. Uh, better biscuit. Don't just play, play hockey better. And he has brought in good pieces too. You know, Yoki Haru being a, a very good one. I mean, I, 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 I won't not give him credit for our Darlene, but I'll give him credit because, I mean, who, he was the, the hands down first pick of that draft you know we lucked into winning that lottery but yeah. he has made he has made good moves you know, I'll give him credit and um when you hear him speak just same thing with Ralph Kruger he you know he is very informed he he pays attention he pays attention to analytics and things like that which weren't really a thing back in your days Steve 
um, if you could touch on that, like the analytical side of the game, um, you know, wasn't a thing back in, you know, the early to mid late nineties where it is nowadays. Um, and they're still not into some organizations. Even now it's not a thing like, mm-hmm. you know, like you have to be, you know, you got to have a staff that's going to trust in that stuff and, and, and be okay with the fact that, you know, some other things are going to come into the picture when you're judging and, you know, you can't play it all on the numbers because obviously to me, the analytics tell you the story of what happened. It's, you know, to me, it's, you know, to me, analytics give me an idea of what's going to happen. It's like reading the back cover of a book, you know, but it's not the end all be all, but you can't ignore it. I mean, it does tell you, you know, who your best players in this situation are or that situation. And, you know, for the most part, I think that uh, nowadays it makes it probably, you know, you have to be as a coach, you got to be, you know, a lot of coaches that I, that I grew up with, they don't change for things. And now you have to be a coach that, you know, you can look at a player and as much as it feels like you should be this, maybe they're not. And, you know, and at this level, it's such a fine line. And, you know, at that level where, you know, if I'm looking at the GM, if I'm looking at Buffalo, I'm looking at their staff, I'm like, okay, they're making, they say the right things. They're going by things that I believe in. The coach, to me, when I listen to Ralph, I just love the way he talks yeah. about players and how, to me, he's a guy that believes in the fact that if guys feel good about themselves, they're going to be players. Yeah, shit needs time. Like, you know, you got a 19-year-old defenseman. Is it going to be there right away? Like, you know, how close is Jack Eichel to being at the top of his game that he's going to, you know, can he bring the whole team along? There's a lot of different things. It's not, you know, as you can see, it's not easy to be good. I think sometimes in Buffalo we get excited because we have the first pick in the draft. We've got Jack Eichel. We've, you know, we got a new GM that's coming from a great organization. We, like, we want this stuff to happen. You know, mm-hmm. I want this stuff to happen when it happens, but then to last for 10 years. Yeah. You know, it, and- it, you know it, 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 it does, it does suck because, you know, and going back to piggyback off you said a little bit earlier is the, the fan base is very impatient right now because we've just between up until recently with both organizations, yeah. it's just been nothing but losing. And, you know, yeah. you're kind of, you're kind of teased in the beginning of the year, two years in a row with this, the 10 game win streak, uh, the previous year. And then, then the way we played uh, at the beginning of this, this past season, it's just like you're teased with it and you see what this team can be. Because I think there's a big difference between this past season and the season before that, because I personally think the, the, the 10 game streak was really uh, a lot of it was more or less Jack Eichel's play. And then on top of that, Carter Hutton at the time was kind of playing out of his mind. And then this past season, you see more of just a, a de, more of a developed team playing together as a team. And then, then things kind of fell off the rails again. Um, and I, again, I, I, there, there's a depth issue there, especially up the middle for sure. Yeah. Um, that needs to be resolved. Um, hopefully we have a kid named Dylan cousins who can help us along there at some point, you know, when he's yeah. ready to fill that role. Um, and then we look at this next draft where you have a, a lot of depth, um, after Leffenier and uh, Byfield, who are kind of like the consensus one-two picks, you know, whichever order you decide to 
to choose that. Yeah. It's up to you. Um, but uh, just there's just a lot. I, I I can't agree with you more, Steve. Is you know it's not going to happen overnight. Um, am I very? I've been very critical of this organization in the past, as most know. Um, I've, I've I've lost my mind over this organization, as most know. Um, but it's interesting to me. <laughs> I just I I'm willing I'm willing to wait because I never you know I I wasn't expecting playoffs this past season, but. Um, I guess I'm also one of those impatient Buffalo Sabres fans, but at the same time, I know what it takes to build a champion. You know, case in point, look at teams like Chicago and Pittsburgh, where Jason Botterill came from. It didn't happen overnight. It took time and patience through the draft to build that team. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. My question is, what's your favorite Sabre jersey? <laughs> the goat head, man. The goat head. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I I love the I love the royal blue, but absolutely the goat head. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I, I I'd go with the red alternates. I'm like, I'll, I'll go alternate. with the dinner yep. plate all day. <laughs> How about you, Steve? Are you a royal blue guy, or are you are you gonna are are you gonna side with uh, with me and the goat head? I mean, I do like I do like the 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 red. Uh, you know, I like the the first black jersey, the one that's on your wall. Yep. I really like that. But, I mean, as time's gone on, like, I always go back to, to the blue and the gold yep. for yeah. some reason. Just the striping. It's it's old school. It's like I grew up with that type of You don't striping. see jerseys like that. You know, and I really like the jerseys last year, the, the anniversary jerseys. Yep. Uh, you know, there's been a couple duds that I don't like. I don't like when they get all yellow or gold or whatever that color is. The slug. I don't like the stuff. I just want it nice with simple stripes. Yep. And, you know, but I thought that, you know, I, I do like where they're at now. Um, I love the I love the Winter Classic jersey, too. They, they, they played against yes. the Rangers. That was beautiful. That was a beautiful jersey. Um, but, you know, you know, we came off the rails a little bit there. Uh, but, you know, after your time in Buffalo, uh, you know, where you were, where you were Dom's goalie partner, you had yourself quite, you had yourself a career, man. You played in San Jose from uh, 98 to 2001. You had some pretty good seasons, man. Uh, uh, I believe it, I want to say it was your first season. Uh, you, you posted a 2.22 goals against a 921 save percentage. And then the following year you played 67 games, uh, which, you know, kind of seems like the type of season Dominic used to play where he played most of the games. Uh, you don't see that very often where guys are playing close to 70 games in a season. And you posted a 9-11 goal, uh, save percentage with a 256 goals against. Uh, you know, you know, how did you enjoy your time in San Jose, man? Uh, and I, I'm actually a big fan of their jerseys too, by the way. I love, I, I love the teal. Oh, yeah. You know, it was sort of the story of my career where, you know, I've always, you know, either I'm competing for the job or I'm right there. That's where I've always sort of settled in or what I was thought of me. Um, and I, I got to play with a lot of really great goalies, which, you know, made being the starter tougher in the, in, in the sense of there's always somebody ready if I stumble. And, you know, and I probably – you know, if I could have figured out a few things about myself a little earlier, I probably could have taken those, you know, that 67-game season and played more like that. 
But for mm-hmm. me, somebody who didn't always feel great about myself when I played, it was very tough to gain that consistency. But confidence key is confidence and swagger is key at that position. It's absolutely key, and you can't it, you can't fake it. Mm-hmm. Um, nope. You know, and it's you know to me, it's when when we talk about the mental side of the game, it's everything. And you know, a lot of times, like when I say I was worried about what's going to happen when the puck goes in, like I'm not kidding. Like that's all I worried about. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's not a great way to go through a career if you're a goalie i mean if you're thinking about you know things that are going to happen bad to you when the puck goes in i I don't know how you can be in the frame of mind that allows you to have success so uh you know i battled through a lot of ups and downs in that sense of you know fighting to you know to feel like this is where i belong this is my job and i go out and if something bad happens it's not the end of the world and i Mm -hmm. was getting to that i had points in my career that were like that you know but you know I'm a guy that I got this after that year I played all those games I you know I I got tripped up and I hurt my ankle I sprained my ankle a high ankle sprain the next year and uh you know at Evgeny Nabokov's right there boom ready mm-hmm. to go in like and it's awesome um you know so I lose my starting job at that point there then I get to Anaheim and J.S. Jaguar's there ready to pop. Ready to you go, know, yeah. Boom, like, again. And then, you know, pretty much, you know, the only – the place I really regret in terms of my – you know, where I thought my performance could have been better was in Boston. The but, following year, yeah. Where there wasn't that guy that was the next guy there. Andrew Raycroft was there, but when I got there, John Graham was the, was the other goalie. Uh, you know, and then I was with Kari Lettinen in Atlanta and, uh, and Roberto Luongo in uh, Florida. Florida. Not to mention when I got to San Jose, Mike Vernon was my partner the first year. So I really like, I got to play with a lot of great goalies, like all over the spectrum, well, had great goalie coaches as well. Um, with Mitch Korn, I had Frankie Allaire, I had Warren Stralo, Clint Malarchuk, like, so I've seen a lot, and that's, you know, to me, it's why I love, I love the coaching and development is I pretty much have seen all the different ways a coach can approach a player. And to me, that's what I take away from my career the most is just that stuff. But, yeah, San Jose was good. We had some good players there. Yep. And uh, like you said, you, uh, you, you, you went on to play with Boston, the Panthers, and then uh, eventually, essentially ending like, you know, your career with um, the Thrashers. Um, yeah. And you ended your NHL career with a 907 save percentage and a 267 goals against. Uh, very respectable numbers, especially back then. Um, but, you know, I, 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 it'd be criminal for me, at least from the Sabres fan standpoint, to not bring up uh, that 96, that 96, 97 playoff series where you were kind of thrown into the fire when Dom went down with an injury against Ottawa, you know, you brought that home, you brought that series home for us. And then, um, you eventually, uh, went in and against Philly where, you know, where we lost, uh, in the second round, but you really kind of made a name for yourself as, you know, being a starter in this league and, you know, just take us through that, which will eventually led up to the infamous, tilt you had with uh garth snow uh league heavyweight well and this is you know it's like when you're with buffalo in that air it's just all stories right like it's just 
you know, crazy things are happening. But Dom, you know, the game that I actually got in, so I got called up in uh, December. Now we're in the playoffs, and I believe we're, we're the one or two seed because of Dom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and when Dom goes down, you know, I, I've never – I've played maybe five or six games to that point. We're in the first round. We split the first two games. We're in Ottawa for game three. The second period's going on. And we're up one nothing, and they score, and building goes crazy. Dom's not getting up, like after the goal, he's down. So I'm sitting on the mm-hmm. bench, and uh, in in Ottawa, the goalie sits on the bench, but it's at that one of those benches where there's a little bit of a bench at the end. Yep. And if I turned right around, I could see down our hallway. So. I'm sitting there, we get scored on, and it's funny, like Dom's not getting up. And then he pops up and I'm I breathe. Like I don't have to go in. Well, he starts skating towards the bench. And I just don't have a good feeling, right? Like I'm not anxious to go in there. Um a lot well, of pressure and I the playoffs. Stick. So I think he needs a new stick. So I look back at George, like, hey, stick. Well, Dom gets to the bench, he just gets off the ice. Like and then I'm just sitting there. I'm staring straight ahead. And all of a sudden, I get this feeling like, like that comes up through my body. Like it goes from my stomach and I can feel it. Just heat, like pure heat. And then I decide to take one more look back down the hallway. And I see Dom at the end of the hallway walk into the locker room. Like, so I immediately just snap my head back around and I'm staring straight out. Like I can't move. And then. I finally get the courage to look over down the bench and I look up and Ted Nolan's staring at me and he's literally just doing Daddy. this. Uh, get a nut. Get a nut. Like, what are you doing? So now the fans, now this, you know, this is Ottawa's first time in the playoffs, you know, with the team since they went back to Ottawa, I get on the ice and the crowd's just going crazy, like bananas. And we took a penalty on this goal. So we're killing. And I'll never forget, like, oh, God. I was standing down there, and I couldn't move. Like, I was, I was frozen. I was so nervous that I couldn't move. Well, of course, Alexi Yashin comes down, first shot, goal. First shot. First shot. Yashin. So in my head. So whenever I watch this, and I haven't seen it in a long time, I remember looking up at the clock, and I was like, oh, my God, that was a goal in – I was been out here for 40 seconds. I'm like, I could conceivably get scored on 20 times in the next 30 minutes. Like, <laughs> I could not – like, that's all I could think about. I'll tell you, man, the, the only position I think that mentally is as straining as being a goalie is honestly being a pitcher in baseball yeah. because the, the game can live and die by you in the matter of moments, man. You really control everything. A pitcher can give up eight runs in an inning, and you can give up five goals in a period. You know, you're and right. You, you know, the other side of that coin is that Yashin at the time was one of the best players in the world at the time, so it's not like you can just like, well, I let in a bad goal. It's Alexi Yashin, you know, the playoffs. Well, you know, yeah. I think for goalies – it's just so much out of your control. And I'm a guy that, 
like if I'm playing basketball or soccer, I can just go get the ball and I can mm-hmm. make something happen. I might not win. I might not make the shot, but I can at least make it happen. The thing that was I struggled so much with about being a goalie was I'm at everybody else's mercy. You know, mm-hmm. and this is what happens to a lot of young goalies. You can't just gut it out. You can't just no. outwork it and just decide I'm going to work harder than everybody. In goaltending, the hardest work is sometimes letting go. And mm-hmm. it's contradictory and it goes against what you're, how you're raised, where just put your head down and do it. Well, in goaltending, you got to have fine motor skills that are like very sharp at that moment. And you have to be relaxed and you have to be calm, you know? Yep. And then when you become a, when you're a player like me who was an emotional player, it, it gets to the point where it's like, I'm in the opposite position for what I'm good at. Like, I should really mm-hmm. just be a big rugged winger <laughs> that goes to the net and makes guys drag me down and then just bury the goalie and put the puck in. But I don't know, somebody put me in goal when I was a kid and it stuck, you know, and that's, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast in itself. And I, I, I hope we can have you on to talk about it. Uh, um, obviously that series ended in seven games with the infamous, uh, are you ready Legion of Doom? Rick, uh, Rick called yeah. the plan off the glove, off the, tug, off the Tugger's yeah. glove and in the net, covers his face, game over, series over, on to Philly. Um, that must have been one hell of a celebration, eh? Big, big well, monkey you off your back, we too. Big relief. Third period. We went down the third period. I can't remember who it was, but one of the weirdest goals ever, like our tying goal in the third was a face-off in the, like to the left of Ron Tugnut. I actually remember like, this, yep. They put it in, like, the guy won Yeah, the yeah, the yep. Like, it was it was to his blocker side, I think. Yep, it was to his yeah. blocker side. And the puck just kind of flew out there. It was all of a sudden in the nuts. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. I gave. So it was like once we got to that game because, you know, I played poorly in game four or in game five at home. We lost and had to go back to Ottawa. We won game six, two nothing. And that was the game I played, the best game. We went back for game seven. And we got to the third period. We could lose. I still felt good about my game is another mm-hmm. goalie secret. You know, at that point, yeah, I would love to win. But as long as I'm not embarrassed, it's good still. Like, there's yeah. that part of goaltending. <laughs> you're speaking uh, so many truths about the position right you're now. You're off the hook. <laughs> yeah. But that's, we get into overtime. We won that. And, you know, like, to me, it was amazing just because I never had, like, John Muckler, who was the GM, came up to me after and said something like very, you know, like, great job. I'm very proud. Like, to hear that from people that you admire is an unbelievable feeling. Like, you know, it is better when everybody likes you to a degree. Like, you know, like you realize that that's why people want to be liked because, you know, you feel good. Um, You know, so that was amazing. Like, that was to me the best. Now, you know, then we get into the next series where historically, like, I think we were fighting Philly every game the whole season. Broad, broad Street Bullies. Yeah, like there were yeah. multiple. Because remember, Gar Snow was the starter, but Ron Hextall was the backup. Like, <laughs> he had two guys there who were willing to sound the gloves with anybody. Like, so, um, you know, like, so I think Gar Snow was being egged on in a lot of ways all year long. <laughs> 
Uh, there's a and you like I said you were not shy from dropping the gloves either like you know obviously we didn't win the se- that, that second series not not to any fault of your own um you know Philly just had an amazing team you know they had a very yeah. very good team that year uh Lindros Leclerc a lot of a lot of good hockey players on that team um am I mistaken I mean did they make the finals that year even yeah, they lost. Yeah, they made. Yeah, they went to the final. They lost, they the, finals, lost uh, the Red Wings in the final. Detroit. Yep. So, yeah. um, just a great hockey team. Uh, and but we we all do remember. Uh, there was there was a scuffle that led to your tilt with. It wasn't your first. It wasn't your first goalie, but you had a, a few in the NHL. Not not not. I'm not sure. You had one with uh, Passmore from Chicago, and then Sean Burke uh, when he was with. Phoenix, yeah. but this is the one we all remember is is um is yeah. the one with 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 Gar Snow. And before before we tee you up for that, we're just gonna take a moment. We're gonna play that fight right now. Sure. Uh, for everybody, just uh you know we'll tee that up right now for you guys to hear because the infamous Rick Janarek, oh they're having it right at the bench. Uh you know everybody remembers that. We still play it to this day. Just you and you and uh you and Snow just going back and forth. Uh, it, it, it's quite, it's quite the call and an amazing an amazing scene and you never see that happen in the playoffs ever ever you know um, <laughs> right. two goalies what so kind of idiot that goalie would skate down the ice in the playoffs to get in a fight uh, <laughs> but we're gonna play that right now. inevitable, wasn't it? I believe that initial penalty was coming up to Cordic. May got knocked down in front of the net. And of course, everything just went to pieces from there. Cordic is going to end up punching. That's Cordic on the left of the screen. As he shoves a glove into the face of Rob Ray. But he will throw a punch. Well, May deck 
Lacroix before that took place. And of course, Snow is acting like he's not involved in it at all. There's a slam dunk as Ray takes Portick down. Portick gets six foot five, 235 pounds. Ray handled him like a sack of wheat. He just threw him to the ice. Out, like a yeah. lot. And so those guys were all on the ice. And all I really remember is I thought we were shorthanded. And then Gar Snow, Rob Ray got into it in front of the net with Cordick, uh, one of the big, huge defensemen on Philly. Yeah, Cordick, yep. And then flipped him. Something happened. And all I saw was I saw a goalie's glove go over a player's head, like onto their face. And I did, I counted. And back then, if there was ever a moment where somebody was outnumbered, you had no choice. You had to be involved. Like, yeah. you know, the code is you could never, ever, ever let one of your players be outnumbered um, mm -hmm. because they were throwing punches like bombs. So if somebody's tying up a guy and he's just sitting there, it's easy pickings for the other team. Like, so when I saw that happen, it was sort of just an instant reaction. I really didn't even think about it. Like when I remember, I think I got like to the blue line and I'm like, Oh, am I really doing this? Like can't turn back now because our goalie's still, you know, remember Dom got hurt two weeks before that or a week before that. There's nobody else. Like, I mean, they had Andre Trefiloff dressed, wasn't ready to play. Like, so when you watch the video, when I get down to the other end, when I get down to the other end, I stick, you know, I put my poke Garth a little bit with my stick. Just I'd see if he's interested. Well, he was interested. <laughs> he is definitely interested. <laughs> well, then Bob Boogner grabs me, and he's yelling at me in the corner, and he's yelling at me to remind me that we have nobody else. Like, there's no other goalies. I can't get in a fight. Um, so I'm like, well, like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I did what I had to do. I'm going to go stand over here and wait for this guy to come to me. Well, I go over to the blue line, and I know he's coming. Like, he wants to fight. Like, <laughs> So he gets close to me and, you know, back then I didn't really, like, I didn't have my mask on very tight in the point of, like, I didn't wear an under chin uh, strap. Yeah. So, you know, as, as protective as that mask is, you can take it off pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and my big mistake was I didn't take his mask off first. Like, because as great as that was, that moment, I probably punched him with my blocker off three times and hit his face mask where uh, a, it would have been one of the best one punch fights ever. If I, his mask would have been off, you know, because I, are you saying right now, are you saying right now that if his helmet was off, he would have been laying on his back. I don't want to say anything like that in this day and age, but <laughs> I love I it. Is, it would have been glorious. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I was, uh, I was, I was, I was at my grandmother's house watching that game. And I remember I kind of took my eyes off the TV for like a minute or two. And then all of a sudden my grandmother was freaking out. Like they're everybody's fighting. The goalies oh are God. fighting. <laughs> Ty, Ty, where were you? Where were you when all this, uh, when all this went down? Uh, I was one. <laughs> you were one years old. Oh yeah. He was still shitting himself as yeah. I, he's still shitting himself. I'm, but I mean, uh, I'm sure my parents were watching like, 
Um, I was born at 6'11", and my dad, like, immediately left the room to watch the Sabres game. I got out just in time for the 7 o'clock puck drop. So, I'm, I'm sure I was watching, just I don't oh remember. <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny? Where I got a lot more respect for guys that have had to do that is as soon as that was over, I wanted off the ice. Like, <laughs> I was so tired. I was I can't imagine. I'd never been that tired. Like, I couldn't even breathe. And I was, and our fight lasted like 15 seconds. Like, I, I never really gotten into a big, big scrap like that where it went on. But I, I couldn't even move. Like, and then I had to go back in the net. Like, it was very difficult. Like, I was counting on being kicked out of that. Like, <laughs> because I was so tired. Like, it was like it was really one of those moments where I was like, you couldn't really like I'm. When I watch it, I'm like, I can't believe that was me doing that. Like, but it happened. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, it's what's crazy about it is like, not that I was around long enough to make a lot of great saves or have any like huge wins that you'd be defined by. But, you know, I've got my friends and my neighbors and you know what the kids do now? Whenever I threaten something, like, if somebody's in trouble, or if I you say, listen, don't, all I hear is, here comes Shields. Like, <laughs> you know, there's a bunch oh, of 14 year old awesome. kids in my neighborhood that, you know, harass me on purpose just to spit that out at me. <laughs> here comes Shields. Yeah. I love it. Oh, it's great. They're going to start yeah, carrying around a speaker just to play it every time they piss you off when, when you start coming <laughs> and charging after them. Oh, it's great. The next, oh, year was, the next year was the uh, Sean Burke, and that's the yep. time that where I went in and Dom came out, like where was, you know, but that's, that's for another time. But that was, yeah. you know, like that was the one with Gar Snow was the big, first, like the first big one that I, that I was involved in. Breaking the cherry on the goalie fight career. I love it. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, again, um, you've had yourself in an unbelievable career, and now you're coaching with uh, University of Michigan. Um, yep. Obviously, you see we're rep we're repping on the on the show right now. Um, you know, and you guys have made a lot of progress with that program. Uh, in uh, 2017, 2018, you guys you helped lead the team to a 22-15-3 record, a Frozen Four berth. Uh, you yep. won the new Northeast Regional Championship, beat Northeastern and Boston U. And uh, you helped develop a kid named Hayden Levine uh, to be one of the better goaltenders in the country. Uh, I just want to touch on that before we let you go. So I know we've had your, we've had your ear for a while here, uh, but just want to touch on anything. I know you mentioned to me earlier that uh, you guys are working uh, in the development with the, some current NHLers, Dylan Lark and Eric Orinsky, and there's another uh, Quinn, I believe. Quinn and, uh, Hughes. Quinn Hughes, yep, yep, Quinn Hughes. Yeah. Uh, just want to touch on all that before we let you go. Um, just what's been going on with, you know, with life, uh, you know, on the other side of the bench, essentially as a coach. Well, it's good. And, you know, and for a guy that, you know, I wasn't, uh, um, hitting all the spots about player development that I believe in, you know, a lot of it is, you know, being prepared and how your mental approach to the game is, but that's what I really enjoy focusing on now with our guys is growing as a player. And, yeah, you know, so, you know, at colleges and stuff, it's 
you know, it takes time to, for things to change in big organizations. And that's what we're in the middle of here is really incorporating a system for our players where, you know, they get here and we create the goals for them. And we, you know, and we talk to the players and get to a point where, you know, they have a, an on ice goal and I have a goal for them, uh, you know, personally with regards to their career after hockey. Because even if they play for 10 years, you know, you're done at 30 years old, you still have half your life, more than half your life left. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to take advantage of the resources that Michigan offers. So for me, you know, the thing that I like to do or, and what I think is necessary now is just making sure that the guys who commit to come here leave here with, you know, an opportunity to be as successful outside of hockey as they want to be inside hockey because for most guys everybody shows up at college for the most part they all have goals and dreams of being a pro and you know over the years that they're here for the most part guys realize that it's next to impossible to be an NHL hockey player um, and you know so what I'm trying to do is incorporate a system now where they don't have to change their goals but we're going to work at the same time at making sure that, you know, when they're, when they graduate here, that their opportunities are as plentiful outside of hockey. And that's, you know, to me, that's the important thing about what a guy needs to do when they come to school at a place like Michigan is, you know, hockey's going to get a lot from you. It's going to demand a lot. You're going to have to give a lot, but you know, we can leverage the opportunity that's here as well. And so for, you know, for every guy that's Quinn Hughes or Dylan Larkin that's going to play 15 years in the NHL, you know, there's 20 guys that aren't going to get that opportunity, but there's still great opportunity. So even with our goalies, and, and Hayden Levine's one of the guys that I've worked with, you know, he's going to have a chance to play as a pro at some point. Um, where that ends up, we don't know. Uh, you know, there's so many great goalies that – it's impossible to tell, but they will be prepared to do other things. And, you know, over the, you know, like just finished my fifth year here, you know, we've had a lot of good kids that are coming out and we, you know, our incoming class, you know, which I can't speak to as much as our other assistants who are the recruiting coordinators, you know, our kids are, you know, we have a really good class. We have a couple kids that'll be probably top 10 NHL picks in the next 14 months. 12 to wow. 14 months, you know, we've got a couple first rounders on our team right now. Uh, we got, you know, we got Cam York, who's a first rounder to Philly. We got Johnny Beecher, who's a first rounder to Boston. You know, we have Eric Portillo here. We got a lot of players who, you know, have a lot of potential, uh, mm -hmm. you know, but we have a lot of free agents too. The one thing I notice here is that, you know, people are watching all these guys now. Like, they're all being watched. They all have opportunity. And, you know, and that's, to me, the, the best part about being at a place like Michigan is a guy can get here as a freshman. By the time you're a senior, you, could be a, you can be a prospect. I mean, there's a lot of – if you really look at the NHL free agents, the young free agents that are signing, a majority of them are from college. Like, and yep, a lot of them are from schools that you don't really think of as a school that would churn out a legit prospect. But, you know, whenever I turn, whenever I go and do my research, 
I'm seeing that there's a new kid from the NCAA that signed an uh, entry-level contract somewhere. And, you know, to me, that's the goal here is to, you know, to make that a real, you know, a real possibility for as many guys as possible. But at the end of the day, make sure that they're set up to have a great career after they're done. Absolutely. That's what uh, we're anything, doing here. Anything to add, Ty? No, I think that's why so many people – um, like myself have, you know, sort of gotten into sports. I have a sports management degree and that's, you know, why yeah. you want to get into these things to be able to help people to put them in to their best posi- position to succeed um, professionally. And then, you know, after they have their athletic career, you want to be able to show them all the opportunities they have to offer, especially, you know, at a school like Michigan and in, in Ann Arbor, where you have such great academic um, offerings there. It's one of the best schools, you know, in the entire country. So, you know, to have those guys to be able to utilize everything they have at their, you know, um, everything that's accessible to them is is huge. And to be able to get them to realize that, I think that also, you know, will help get the rest out of the best out of them on the ice to be able to, you know, really feel and learn to become a better, you know, version of themselves. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Um, well, Steve. Thank you for coming on with us, man. I know we, we, we talked your ear off, uh, mostly me. I apologize, Ty. Uh, no, it's all good. I, was just, I was such a huge fan of yours uh, growing up, even when you were over in San Jose. I think, a bit, again, it was the, the last name that really grasped the Shields, you know, the, the position <laughs> right. you played. It's like the last name. Um, but, again, man, I'd love to have you on again. Me and Ty are very grateful over here at Two Goalies. One Mike, Cully, too. Unfortunately, I couldn't even be here. Um, but, um, I want you to stay safe and take care and, uh, you know, we'll have you on again soon, man. Yeah. And thank you guys. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I, I'm always down for, for talking Sabres hockey and, uh, you know, once we get the season going in the fall, probably, or most likely once there's a real regular season, we'll have to pick this yep. back up when, you know, yep. when we'll see where the Sabres are really at. Yeah, and yeah, hopefully, that's... hopefully we'll be uh, taking a trip up to Yost at some uh, some point soon. That bond yes, is absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Sh- give us, show us a few water and holes there, Steve. Absolutely, absolutely. I can't wait, man. Yes, I can't wait. I know, Ty. <laughs> are you, if you can see, the, uh, we can see the smile. Yeah, on I, I actually, yeah, I got it. I I was there. Uh, it was Quinn Hughes's uh, freshman year. I'm watching this 43 skate around on the ice. I'm like, this kid's absolutely unbelievable. Why oh, is he wearing number 43? And I pointed it out to my well, now ex-girlfriend at the time, and then I look him up. I'm like, oh, yep, he's a top prospect. Makes a lot of sense, but it was just <laughs> wild watching a 43 oh, just yeah. dip around on the ice the way he did. Unfortunately, I think it was a loss to Ferris State in overtime, but it was still an amazing experience. The band and everything in Yost, it's, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, it is no, great. We'll, we'll definitely make a trip for sure. Um, okay, you know, well, again, good. Thank you, Steve. Okay, guys. Take it easy. You, t- you take care. Stay, stay uh, safe. Absolutely. Stay safe. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. 
Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.